Welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help teens and adults with autism become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. So often people with autism in adolescence have limited social opportunities and as a result miss the opportunity to make connections between their desires and how to make them a reality. This creates a lack of self-determination skills necessary to become more independent in adulthood. Today we are going to talk with Tara Regan about how personal and family indicators affect those with autism in developing self-determination in their lives. Tara is an educator, researcher, and has two siblings with autism. She is the founder of Autism Growing Up, whose mission is to make growing up easier and accessible for those affected by autism. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Tara, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be chatting with you. So where does your uh, story in the autism community begin? So it started actually at a very young age for me. I have two brothers on the autism spectrum. Um, they're now 27 and 19, and I'm their biggest, I'm the oldest in my family, there's four of us, so... I started from a very young age with my brothers, kind of as an additional caregiver for them. And based on that experience, I got more involved with my local autism community and also at school, so that kind of led me on track to spend more time professionally in the field, too, and getting involved with research and those types of things. Now, you have your master's in social work, and last year uh, you got your Ph.D. in education. I'm sure you could have done a lot of different things, but you decided to focus on supporting adults with autism through Autism Growing Up. What is Autism Growing Up, and how can those listening learn more about what you do? Yeah, so gaining experience through my social work program and my PhD in education, I learned a lot about like this 
research gap between uh, what's being written in an article to what's actually getting down to use in practice in our families. And I spent a time it's about 17 years, which I thought was a really, really long time, too long. That's about an adulthood day at the time. And so that's one of my main goals professionally and personally, but also when I was bridge that gap, as well as to bridge the gap as well about information and sharing resources about autism and adulthood, which, you know, is very limited and mm-hmm. families can spend hours upon hours looking for information online to really come across very little. So uh, this is, autism grown up kind of grew out of a response to that, uh, both of those things, and then of course my family navigating their transition Now, in 2015, you you wrote a publication for the Center on Secondary Education for Students with Autism Spectrum Disorder regarding the the challenges that many teens have in relation to personal hygiene. Now, I, I know it can be a very complex issue, but can you talk about some potential areas of difficulty that contribute to this poor hygiene? What suggestions do you have um, to help with these challenges? I had, uh, so in this article, it's just a practice-based one, so kind of just like shared a little bit, some case examples, some things out there that would be helpful based on what I've heard from teachers and what I've worked on with parents and students especially have been um, kind of using uh, some evidence-based practices for autism, so there are 27 kind of outlined also 
by the research center I work at at UNC. And some of the main ones that I find to be probably helpful and beneficial just in general and things that you can build upon are using visual support. So creating sequencing cards, maybe for uh, breaking down, brushing your teeth, um, so you can use images and using words, whatever the student's comprehension level is, or the learner's comprehension level. Even things like breaking down, using a task analysis to break down uh, getting dressed in the morning, uh, choosing up your clothes for the day based on the weather. That's also a common issue, too, just making plans and deciding what clothes would be the best match for whether it's hot outside or cold outside tends to be a huge thing, especially even for my brothers. Like, my youngest brother probably wears her shorts all year, if he could. Um, but another helpful strategy, which uh, is actually being used more often and supported with apps, is video modeling, which has been really cool to try out, and there's been more studies on that recently. And um, so video modeling can show up as you, the teacher or parent, doing that particular hygiene task or behavior, recording it, and then showing it to your child or student and walking through the steps with them. Or what's really cool, too, is a lot of uh, kids on the spectrum will love recording themselves doing the task and then watching themselves break it down, too. So those have been really, really helpful for navigating hygiene challenges because it just helps to know sometimes what that the expectation of the task is even further using their strengths. So uh, today I wanted to talk with you about something that I'm really passionate about, self-determination. So I guess my definition of that is essentially a person making their own choices or decisions based on their preferences or interests. In 2018, you wrote a dissertation regarding uh, personal and family predictors of self-determination in adolescents with autism spectrum disorder for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Now, I know research has shown that the better the, de the self-determination skills you have, the better the outcome out of high school, after high school, you will have. However, very little research uh, has been done in terms of family involvement in self-determination. Why did you decide to write about this very important topic? Well, yeah, so I feel like based on my experiences and working with families that I noticed I wanted to look and delve deeper into what are ways to support self-determination. Um, as you may know, too, is that a lot of the interventions out there about self-determination are focused on getting the student ready for their IEP meeting and not really a lot out there about generalization um, outside of that setting and ways to support that student into adulthood. So uh, something that came up a lot for me talking with families has been um, examining and looking at uh, their level of involvement and how that can serve as a model for their kids, especially as they are growing up and having to navigate more and more services and coming into their own, especially as they reach those ages where they... Um, are brought into IEP meeting or transition planning meetings in high school, and then of course beyond that with navigating services and uh, getting a job and those types of things. So 
found family, I found family involvement to be particularly interesting and not really studied, as you mentioned, in autism. A lot of the research on families is focused on parental uh, burden and stress levels, but I also wanted to look at what are positive things out there, what are ways that families are contributing to their students' success using self-determined behaviors and practices. And your dissertation looked to kind of look at three questions relating to self-determination. And and I know the first was if personal factors were indicators of self-determination. What were the personal factors you looked at and what did your findings suggest? So I looked at seven different personal factors. So these are all listed on the included in the larger CISA study with the high school students. So this was used at kind of like their pre-test level. Students were either ninth to 12th grade, and we had a variety of assessments in this uh, study. So I, I got to pull from there and look at a student's age, their gender, cognitive ability, race and ethnicity, ASD severity, social skills, and adaptive behavior. So a whopping seven there. But I did find that uh, a few of them were statistically significant in the model that I ran. I don't want to get into all the stats analysis because I want to get to the good stuff for you. But what I did find that um, was that age was a statistically significant predictor as well as cognitive ability, ASD severity, social skills, and adaptive behavior. Uh, so a good number of those were significant predictors of self-determination, which makes sense, um, especially with age. As students get older, they have more opportunities to practice self-determination, so they may feel more confident with that. Right. Um, ability, it hasn't really been studied, but I thought that was really interesting. Um, especially in the studies about self-determination have used it's included students with autism as well as their peers with other disabilities, but has it really broken down students with ID or not? Age severity was interesting to me, as well as uh, social skills and adaptive behavior. It definitely makes sense practicing and developing self-determination. And then the second question you looked at was how family factors uh, predict self-determination. What family factors did you look at and what did they tell you? So I looked at five family factors. So bring us the whole model of 12 factors was huge. But for families, I looked at, we had a smaller grouping. So we asked families less questions or sent them less assessments because this is more of a school-based intervention. But I was happy to get what I could get from this, which could support looking at uh, family empowerment. So I looked at parent education, household income, uh, the neighborhood locale. So that was kind of grouped by an educational database that kind of breaks down rural, suburban, and urban, as well as like even more subcomponents within there. Um, caregiver burden, parent perspective of their child's self-determination, and then, of course, family empowerment. And I found um, only three of those to be statistically significant in my model. I found household income, which could be interpreted as SES or as a component of SES. Uh, parent perspective of their child's self-determination was a big one, highly statistically significant as well as family empowerment. 
with the parent perspective, uh, what, why was that so significant? I think um, that may have an impact on the children's own perspective of their self-determination. I also had teachers in here, too, um, or we captured teachers, but I didn't put it in my, uh, my dissertation study. But I think uh, something that has come up a lot in the research and also talking with families and autistic adults especially is that their own uh, beliefs about their capabilities and their capacities, especially their strengths and their, their goals, tend to be highly influenced by their parents and the adults in their lives. So that's, I think that's probably one of the major reasons why parent perspective rated so highly as a statistically significant predictor of self-determination. So the uh, last question uh, you looked at was how family f- factors predict self-determination when personal factors are controlled. What did those results look like? So I got like really mixed results from this one. So the ways of model I created for face down was um, first I input the personal factors and I put the family factors in. And both the models as I discussed before, were statistically significant. Like, as a group, all of these factors lead to other positive self-determination or lower versions of those uh, factors lead to lower levels of self-determination. But in teasing them out, I really couldn't find anything. So this was really interesting results and just shows in capturing even more so how abstract self-determination is or as a concept. So um, I am looking forward to like finding ways to pull those out in the future. Hmm. Now, based on your dissertation, are there suggestions you have on future research so we could better help to understand how we can support people with autism in developing self-determination skills? Yeah, definitely. So I also kind of broke these factors down into malleable and non-malleable factors. So malleable factors being like these can be changed through an intervention like social skills and adaptive behavior as well as working with parents about their perceptions of their child self-determination. And I also looked at the non-malleable ones where like things can be tailored towards uh, students that have varying levels of cognitive ability or ASD severity. So I found that, or I propose that these interventions can be created or uh, worked on with researchers, but I also think broadly, even a year away from this dissertation, really want to support and work with families and professionals on ways to support students in the community. I think that these results and these factors give us a great basis to work from and think about as we are working on self-determination um, as a way to kind of blend other skills together as a way to really just promote these skills. Well, Tara, I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and thank you for, to Tara for the conversation. I was recently invited to an IEP meeting to talk about a student possibly using the services of Autism Personal Coach. 
I was sitting there the entire meeting. I don't know, it was maybe 45 minutes, an hour, and just waiting and waiting for any professional in the room to ask the student one very simple question, and it was never asked. The question was, what do you want? It's simple, but yet so important. Now, the fact that it wasn't asked was frustrating to me, but just that one question is part of a much bigger picture. It's not so much about the question. It's that we need to do a better job listening about the preferences, interests, and skills of people with autism so they, we can help them get what they want in their lives. During this meeting, there were probably 10 people there, but guess who the person who spoke the least amount in the meeting was, the person with autism, who the actual meeting was about. We need to do less talking and more listening. That oftentimes starts with a question. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach saves people with autism from feeling alone and being isolated? So often, teens and adults with autism struggle with anxiety and as a result, don't result, don't have success in their lives. Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help those with autism by working on meaningful, individualized goals in the setting in which they will be used. So their anxiety is greatly reduced, and as a result, they can become more independent and successful. To get an autism coach for a loved one or yourself, it's very easy. All you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On next week's episode, we will talk with Megan Metzelar. Megan is the writer and performer of the weekly Autism Stories theme song, Who Am I? Talk to you then.